so uh, the last episode we recorded was our uh, Christmas special, hopefully the first of what is to become an annual tradition, uh, whereby uh, Bill and I invite on a whole bunch of YouTube friends and we have a fun little silly quiz. Um, so if you haven't listened, I bring this up to say that if you haven't listened to uh, said episode, go have a listen. It's really great and uh, I really enjoyed making it and I think the banter was was lit, as the kids would say. So go check that one out if you've missed it. (laughs) Uh, And it it was a Christmas episode, but it wasn't, like, specifically Christmas-based or anything. It wasn't, uh, it doesn't require Christmas to to be enjoyed. It's not exceptionally festive, so. In fact, it was very unfestive. I mean, your, your, your round was, like, all about war and stuff. Um, yes, that's true, and... War and Christmas aren't typically paired flavors. No, so. no. Um, <laughs> so yeah, go check it out. Links in the show notes. And yeah, hopefully next year we'll do the same thing. Um, and hopefully different folks. Hopefully more more folks will enter this sort of like world building conlanging uh, space. And we'll, we'll have them on uh, for a crack. Um, so yeah, that was that. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up, this is totally unrelated to literally everything, but it's been rattling around in my head. And I wanted to ask you a question about Bill. Mm-hmm. I was watching The Crown over Christmas. Yeah. And uh, for those who don't know, this is a Netflix show uh, and it follows the story, a sort of fictionalized account of the story of the British royal family. Um, and it's a really good show. It's really well made. I think it's really interesting. And I didn't know a whole lot about uh, the royal family before this because, like, who cares? Um, but as I watched, I was like, oh my God, this family is like, it's so interesting. And like, there's so much scandal and drama and like, just so much going on with them. And then it occurred to me to think like, I wonder, is this, are the British royal family particularly interesting and scandalous? Or is there examples from around the world and throughout history of kind of like super interesting royal families um and i was thinking of this from a world building perspective to be all like i wonder who could i look to for kind of juicy juicy scandal and drama um in the sort of royal family sphere so do you do you know any of anything about this bill at all do you know of any do you know any anything else about any other royal families um a little bit like i'm i'm by no means a monarchist but i find the the concept kind of really interesting Every so often I like to read about uh, what pretenders to thrones still exist. Oh, so you mean like the distant third cousins who could potentially be like the king of Slovakia or whatever? Sometimes that, but also just uh, kingdoms that don't actually exist anymore, but the the families, the descendants still exist. So, uh, for example, there's the... I was just talking about this with someone the other day. There's the Crusader Kingdom of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. which was set up in like the the second or third Crusade or whatever. Um, and the there are people who can still claim a descent from the last king of Jerusalem, and one of them is in fact one of the Guinnesses of the the like the the Guinness Brewery family. No way. Yeah. I can't remember the exact details of it, but I think his father was married to a French noblewoman who 
was descended from a Duke of Anjou, and the Duke of Anjou could claim a descent from the last crusader king of Jerusalem. So one of the Guinnesses could make a, a claim to be pretender to that throne. Wow. Now, they don't, but like by the by the rules that are there, he he could. Hmm, yeah, um, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I wasn't, when I was thinking about kind of uh, interesting stories pertaining to like royalty, I wasn't thinking about from the outside. I was thinking more from just like the inside. Yeah. And it, it's just the last point on that. Like, I, I, I hate the, the trope in, in media of people being heroes because of their birthright. I I absolutely loathe that. It really annoys me. Um, but I still find this kind of interesting, which is a little a little paradoxical or hypocritical or something. Um, but as regards, like, intrigue within royal families, um, I mean, everything in Game of Thrones is from historical sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, the War of the Roses? The War of the Roses is a big, big influence, yeah. And I don't know the Wars of the Roses that well. Um, oh, there's an interesting thing in... Let me Google this real quick. There's an interesting thing in Russian history. Oh. Um, one moment. Uno momento, por favor. Uno momento. Uh, so, there was uh, Tsarevich Dmitry Ivanovich. He was the youngest son of Ivan the Terrible, mm-hmm. um, and he was killed at the age of eight in 1591. Um, but for the next 20 years or so, various people pretended to be him um, as political things or to, uh, to claim the throne for themselves. So there is, there's four false Dimitris. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I've always found that really interesting. Um, I think... I think a few of them were, like, reasonably successful. I think, like, the first and the third one were, were reasonably successful, something like that. Uh, let me see. Oh, yeah, the first one actually rune, ruled as as Tsar for a while. Um, mm. uh, that was f- f- 1605 to 1606. And then over the next four or five years, a few other people tried it as well. Um, and, like, how was this caught out in the end? Uh, I I don't know the full details. I think um, they just got killed. <laughs> I think they just lost wars, <laughs> uh, like uh, civil wars. Um, so there's that. Uh, I guess there, there's there's stuff like the idea that uh, that Anastasia survived the the execution of the of the imperial family, but that that kind of goes more back towards the the pretenders type mm-hmm. of of intrigue. Um, yeah, and I suppose it also conspiracy as well. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, not not related to royal families, but you know, like a particularly juicy conspiracy relating to like like notable historical figures is like the whole thing about like did Hitler actually kill himself, um, yeah. or did he was he um, transported out of Berlin uh, from that bunker or whatever um, mm. before he had a chance to do it, and like is Eva Braun. Was she still knocking around? I think she'd be too old to be alive now, and all sorts of jazz. Again, yeah. that's a slightly different thing to just be all like, "Here, here is a royal family, and like, no conspiracy, just facts." And look at the mania that ensued. Um, mm. Yeah, For, uh, uh, listeners, uh, in in the in the comments, uh, if you know of anything, uh, point me that way. I'm looking for something like Edgar. You should check out. Uh, Romanian royal family from 1500 to 1600. That's the sort of thing I'm looking for. And then give me give me like a newspaper headline to like a, a summary of what occurred. Uh, that would be great. 
Yeah, I mean, like, there has to be tons. Not not a lot of them come to mind right now, but, um, like, the Roman emperors and stuff, I mean, they were, they were up to mad things and murdering each other. And, mm-hmm. and I, suppose, yeah. I suppose as well, um, uh, non-European would be great. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. So, like, if anything, if anyone knows any sort of intriguing stories from, like, an African uh, dynasty or whatever, let me know. Um, mm-hmm. That would be really interesting. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was that. Uh, I just wanted to know what the best royal family was. <laughs> uh, shall we do some uh, follow-up? You have follow-up from the last show, correct? I do have follow-up from the last show. I made two errors that I would would like to correct. Tot, 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 tot. Mm. Um, and my, my excuse here is that it was... I think we recorded on a on a Thursday or Wednesday. Anyway, it was some day that I was working late and I was very tired, and I was very tired when I was re- recording after a long day of work. Um, that's that's so, no excuse, Bill. Really, this, so, this this can't stand. This is this this behavior <laughs> is not warranted. This is no good. <laughs> um, so the first thing that I want to uh, point out is Spain is not Italy. Um, it is, in fact, case anyone, not anyone was confused about that. They are different countries. Uh, I was talking about um, a historical character, Miles Kyo, who is from my part of the world and uh, was was uh, one of the the uh, commanders in the Battle of Little Bighorn. Um, and his military career started in Italy, fighting for the papal armies, not fighting against Garibaldi in Spain, because that didn't happen. Um, so that's the first one. Crime. Crime. Crimes against the Spaniards and the Italians. Um, please forgive me, my Mediterranean cousins. Um, and uh, I was also talking about the the Battle of Jutland. There's two spoilers there for anyone who hasn't uh, done my, my round of the quiz yet. Um, and I said that the, the ships from the Battle of Jutland were later scuttled in Scapa Flow and that they're used as a source of low background radiation steel. Um, I was kind of conflating a couple of different things there. The The Battle of Jutland uh, broke the, the German Imperial Navy um, and, and crippled them. And it was later that the they were they were taken to um, Scapa Flow. It was after the war. They, they were taken to Scapa Flow and um, scuttled. And I think... They scuttled themselves. I think. I think the the crew were imprisoned there, and they scuttled themselves um, to, to prevent the the British uh, using their their ships. Um, but anyway, yes, the, I, I was conflating the the later capture and and um, imprisonment and scuttling in in Scapa Flow with the Battle of Jutland, which it was a it was not the same thing, but the the latter was a consequence of the battle. That's not that bad. No, it's not. No, it was bad. The first one was horrible. Mild correction. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I I always feel bad when I confuse different countries because it's a thing that annoys when it happens to me. Um, So apologies again, Spain and Italy. Not not to get all like two Irish blokes uh, complain about colonialism for the umpteen time. Oh no, let's let's. I'm always up for that. (laughs) But I don't know, man. Maybe in my old age, I'm just becoming increasingly more patriotic or something. But it it increasingly annoys me when people refer to 
the, the British Isles use that mm-hmm. the, that term and it used to never annoy me before because I used to be all like oh look it doesn't matter and I used to use it as well just for convenience to be all like oh look most people understand British Isles and if I go into any greater level of detail they run the risk of confusing some poor American or whatever <laughs> um, but yeah now it's just it's just really bad and, and it really annoys me when it's when it's used to like if they're talking about something from say like Irish history and then they use a term like British Isles and you're kind of like like it'd be one thing if you're talking about something English and you use the term British Isles okay fine but if you're talking about something specifically Irish and then you keep referring to the geographic location as the British Isles I'm just like please don't <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really frustrating. Uh, Another quick tangent, and I promise this this is a quick one, um, on the subject of uh, the Navy and seafaring and all sorts of jazz. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the sea shanty trend that's happening on TikTok at the moment. I am, I am. Uh, Thoughts about that? Are you pro pro sea shanty? Pro 2021 being the year of the sea shanty or not? Um, Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm into it. I think, like, first of all, it's just kind of nice and and wholesome, and not really doesn't really harm anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like we're like appropriating anything really. Uh, there, there are like things to be made about, um, you know, they're they're from from uh, Black American work songs and stuff. But I think it's it's not really a a living thing in the same way. Uh, so it could probably be harder to, to claim it as appropriation, though I could be wrong. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of nice and it's collaborative and it's, um, there's kind of a low barrier to, to entry for it. It's not, it doesn't require a, a huge proficiency in, in singing or anything, mm-hmm. um, which is good. And I think there's a lot of, uh, loss of the idea that music should be fun and collaborative and just a thing you can do and that you don't have to be an expert at and i think that uh goes some way to, to rectifying that um that is that last point is really important i fully agree with that i think lots of people yeah music is not meant to be it's not really meant to be a thing that's studied in academia and you know only trained singers can sing and only trained musicians can play it's just everyone's just meant to sing you know that's what we do as humans um and it doesn't matter if it's not amazing and if you're not the best singer in the world you just you just sing and that's it uh, i i fully agree with that um i i love it uh because it has um it just it just it just makes you feel piratey <laughs> <laughs> like the actual the, the, I don't know what I don't know what it is. I had a, I studied some of the harmonies for that that Wellerman song. It'll be linked in the show notes. And like they're not anything special or there's not anything particularly unique going on, but there's just something about the you know, the accents used, the language used and the kind of nondescript harmony used that just invokes this sense of like awe and wanderlust. You know, yeah. like we're, we're, we're traveling across the open seas and the world is our oyster and it's just, it's brilliant. And it's, uh, I've, through following this trend, I've stumbled across um, this sea shanty band called The Longest Johns. They'll be linked mm-hmm. in the show notes and their back catalog is just wonderful. And it's just, it's just four blokes singing about the open sea constantly, album after album. And it's just glorious. It's so wholesome and it's so lovely and you know, given how terrible 2020 was, it's a, re- a really nice opening to 2021 to just sing about, like, sea shanties. I love it. 
one of my one of my really good friends is is a big sea shanty person has been for years um and would would very often like send me uh a, a sea shanty or uh like we talk about them or whatever so she's been really enjoying this um uh so i've been, i've been glad to see it go mainstream and um over over christmas well, over New Year more so, I was playing um, Assassin's Creed Rogue, which mm. is one of the one of the very naval based Assassin's Creed games, and uh, your crew sings sea shanties as you're bombing about the North Atlantic. Class. Um, so it was a lot, lot of things kind of came together. Uh, I'm quite anachronistic in in that context because they're they're eighteenth, uh, uh, they're from the 1800s uh, mainly, um, and that's set in the 1700s. Um. So, but you know, I think we can we can let it let it go on on aesthetic grounds. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I did I do find really weird is when songs that I would consider to just be like Irish traditional songs are brought up in the context of sea shanties. So, like the mm. the example here would be uh, the drunken sailor. That's a song that like we used to just sing at sessions in the house here, and without anyone saying anything about sea shanties like it's just a tune and then you you know you go on tiktok and it's like here's another sea shanty for you and they begin singing the drunken sailor and you're like oh i guess it is a sea shanty but like it's just a trad song from ireland like it's a really weird is it irish well okay i'm assuming it's irish because we used to just sing it here in sessions i don't know i mean i think that's just the nature of folk music like it's 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 uh these things get get shared and 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 get interpolated and passed around. Man, I'm I'm pretty sure it's at least from the Celtosphere. <laughs> because because like the language, like you know, it goes uh, early in the morn and that early thing. Like I'm not expecting that pronunciation to show up in like an English uh, tune. Mm. That sounds really think, Celtosphere. Think of me. think of like the. The, the typical pirate West Country accent. It would work in that. Or East Anglian accents. Hold on. Drunken sailor. Hold on. We'll get to bed in this. Way hey and up she rises. I'm not sorry. I shouldn't sing on the podcast. I can't sing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, origins. Okay, that's fine. Oh, maybe it is English. The, sh- the song shares its tune with a rush of a Hawalia. Oh, Roche, da va, ha, well, yeah. Oh, Roche, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, actually, huh. And, but again, you know, tunes, shared yes. around. Interesting. I mean, there's enough mention. just at a really quick glance in the Drunken Sailor Wikipedia page, there's enough mentions of Irishness here that I'm beginning to think that, you know, even if it is English in origin, it certainly has been flavoured a lot by Irishness. Oh sure, yeah, sure. Over a while. Oh, they even have a section on the pronunci- pronunci- pronunciation of Erli. Interesting. Um, anyhow, this tangent went on longer than I I, uh, <laughs> I intended to do. So, sea shanties are great. There'll be links in the show notes. Enjoy. Uh, so, those are your corrections from the Christmas quiz. Yes, they are. Okay. Um, let's do some email. So the first thing in emails is that I just want to implore people that if they want to submit to Willerst World Lang Review Showcase thing, uh, please don't do so uh, via the podcast email. It just confuses everything and I can't really tell if what you're submitting is meant for the podcast or meant for the worst. It's just it yeah it's just crazy so if you want to submit to the worst i'll leave the links in the show notes and submit via that link 
and then only use the podcast email address for podcast related things um psa please and thank you um yeah that okay bill absolutely fine i i agree and encourage cool all right so let's launch it emails first one bill um okay the first email we have here is from julian dobler Hmm. um and julian is a fan of your your youtube channel um and he's currently catching up on the podcast and he's wondering do you know any sources either scientific or world building about climate modeling on planets with just one hadley cell per hemisphere um should he just use the same method of regular climate modeling and and tweak it to to suit his needs uh are there any tips to follow or anything that you 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 would recommend for this so yeah this is one of those ones that have me for a long long time uh, I, I can't find any scientific papers in this I have tried so hard and really want to make a video on it but there's just nothing out there um, I would recommend uh, Julian go with your intuition there of using the regular world building climate modelling uh, and tweak it to a one cell scenario so uh, real quick I'll link these videos in the show notes uh, so you can check them out but I've made a video on how ocean currents would work on a one cell planet Um, follow that video lay out your ocean currents and then uh, I've also made a video on how wind patterns work on a one cell planet so follow those two videos and then extrapolate so in the main climate modeling videos I would say stuff like you know uh, between 10 and 20 degrees when you have warm currents and onshore winds place x biome do the same in the one cell planet and uh you'll you'll get reasonably far there'll be some things where it's just like uh, this doesn't show up on earth i don't know and for that part i can't help you um you're again just intuition uh you have to just decide well what would be most likely to be here um given the zones i've already laid out it's 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 a nightmare and i wish i had an easy solution if anyone does have a paper please link it to me because i will promptly make a video uh, on it if if i can find the correct information cool uh the second email we have here is from elijah gurch um looking at moon mechanics working on moon building and wondering how two moons of different orbits would affect each other's orbits through their gravity if they were to pass close enough that it could take effect. Um, thinking that one moon would have a circular or a nearly circular orbit, while the other has a more eccentric orbit. Yeah, so what will happen, I would imagine, is that one moon would get shot out of the system if, if they're on weird orbits like that and they pass close to one another. Uh, in general, if you do want to have a setup with nearly circular orbits and eccentric orbits, you'd have an inner moon on a nearly uh, circular orbit and then like a really distant outer moon on an eccentric orbit. I think Jupiter's moons uh, obey this kind of law, for want of a better word. Um, so if you follow that setup, there's no way that those moons are going to come into uh, real close contact with one another. They're going to be far enough separated that it won't it won't really matter. Um, in general, I would suggest not trying to do something massively elaborate with moons because you'll end up just, they'll end up either colliding or getting shot out of the system. Um, yeah, I'm a big, big pusher of orbital resonances with, with moons in terms of world building as per the last World Earth video when someone made a really nice calendar based on orbital resonances of moons. That's how, what I would uh, uh, encourage you to do in, in your world building. 
Cool. All right. Very good. That was that was remarkably succinct, Bill, for me. <laughs> Tangent avoided. <laughs> um, and the next one is from uh, Thomas. And is wondering what uh, software you use for animation and drawing and if you have any advice on hardware and cameras and things. Uh, as Thomas is uh, a bit of a YouTuber themselves and is looking for some of your... Your tips or advice. Some of your inside baseball, as you confused me with a while ago. Inside baseball. Uh, okay, so real quick, in terms of software, I just use the Adobe Suite. Um, I have the full Adobe Suite, so I use a combination of Photoshop, Illustrator, After Effects, Premiere Pro, Audition, etc. That's that's all I use there. I don't use any other non-Adobe products in my animation workflow, I don't think. Um Advice on hardware uh, depends on uh, the type of videos you're making. If you're making really graphically intensive 4K videos, you just need to get the best computer you can possibly get for your budget. That's kind of usually the uh, the advice. Get as much as you can. Uh, throw enough money. Throw as much money as you can at the problem if you're serious about it. Um, and just get the biggest stuff you can get, the biggest and best stuff. Uh, do you need an expensive camera? No, uh, absolutely not. And I, in fact, I would recommend nearly not getting an actual camera. Uh, if you have a good enough smartphone, uh, I would just use a smartphone camera. They're more than good enough uh, for YouTube videos. Um, and in fact, I've actually considered perhaps selling my my pr- professional camera and just switching to an iPhone because like, it, they're more than good enough. Um Tips and advice for being a YouTuber. Uh, the only tip and advice I would give is don't give up. Uh, because a lot of, I know for a fact, a lot of YouTube channels that, um, how would I say that, that uh, I guess publishing companies or advertising companies would have uh, on their radar. Um, those companies are, are kind of on the cusp of being noticed in the broader YouTube sphere by various companies and etc they nearly always just give up before they get that notice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because it's, it can be a really unrewarding thing where you just like make a video and 10 people watch it and then you make another one and you've spent a whole month making it and then 15 people watch it and then you're like, no one's watching my videos, this is crap. And then maybe people do start watching your videos and you get a lot of hate and you get bullying, etc. It can be really difficult to just keep going in the face of like, this is going nowhere. Um, but like, that's the one like sure-fired road to success on YouTube. Just keep going. Um, keep uploading, keep feeding the beast. Um, yeah, and just don't sacrifice more important life stuff for that goal. Keep it as a secondary thing uh, up until the point at which it becomes a viable sort of, you can do it full time or take t- less time off job. But you just got to, in the evenings, just, you just got to keep going. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, and it's actually, it's really interesting. Here, tangent, here comes a tangent. Uh, <laughs> I think having studied classical music has set me up really well to be a YouTuber because in, I'm going to annoy so many classical musicians here, but in the classical music sphere, it is not uncommon for one to spend decades uh, learning their craft and then to spend most of your professional life either playing to hardly anyone or just teaching music. Um very few classical musicians, I, I think, go on to kind of become, like, celebrities that pay, play for, like, giant concert halls and tour, etc. Um, 
So I think studying classical music, you kind of just, I don't know, I just accepted that that's a, a normal part of it and you do it because you love doing it mm-hmm. and you find a way to kind of make it work. You're not in it for the fame and you're not in it for the money, you're in it for the love of the craft and be be having, you know, mentally be set up like that, I think really helps when it comes to being a YouTuber because lots of people are just like, I want to make, I want to make YouTube videos, I want to make stuff on the internet because I want to be famous and then chances are that's not going to work because you're, you're not going to find that fame immediately and then you're going to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, hope that helps, Thomas. Best of luck and um, let us, let us know what your channel is. Send us an email when you got some content. If uh, if you make it big, you might be on uh, next year's pub quiz. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I think that's all from emails, correct? Uh, I think it is. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, shall we go into the main topic? So uh, I just made a video uh, called "Flat Planets." If planets were pizzas, uh, did you watch it, Bill? I did. Oh, hiccups. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I'm just going to make you talk loads in this section uh, with your hiccups. <laughs> uh, I I did watch it. I did, and I enjoyed it. Um, a- any thoughts on it? Uh, I have one kind of thought that I- I'd like to share. But if you've anything, uh, go first again, because I'd like you to talk with your hiccups. Um, <laughs> what bits that I find compelling? The idea of the the flat planet. Um, but with a, a gravity towards the gravitational center, so that as you progressed along like the, the the flat surface, it felt like you were going uphill. That was a really compelling idea. Yeah, and I think a, a kind of non-intuitive one. Um, like it creates an environment that's really alien. Um, yeah. Without you know construct, I know you've constructed a flat plan, but without constructing too something too like ridiculous, it's just like hey, there's a flat plane and gravity works like this and that leads to this really kind of weird result yeah yeah my thing was what did you think about the i got some comments that were you know ranged from disappointed to outright angry at me for bringing up the flat earth and also debunking the flat earth when what it is i'm supposed to be doing is world building um what do you think about that so people were defending or just saying that you need to be more open-minded or what? No, no. Uh, it was more like, um, I thought this was a world-building channel and here you are just bringing up the flat earth for like the umpteen time on the internet and going over the same like debunking arguments that have been done over and over again. Just please world-build uh, and leave but- this alone. But you were world-building. I was, and I think... You took that as a starting point. I did, but also the kind of implicit thing that I was trying to do, and I wonder if it came across, was that uh, I think the flatter model, in in air quotes, is is world-building. Like, it's a fictitious story that a bunch of people have made up that have suspended this belief of, like, a whole bunch of people. So... It is world-building, and it's, it's something that, like, literally you could just take and be all like, that is my setting. Like, what mm. they believe is my setting. So I was like, I really do want to bring it up um, because I think it's really good world building. It's bad science, but it's really good world building. And then I, I felt bad if if I were, I would have felt bad if I, if I brought it up and just addressed it in a sort of clinical manner. Like, this is what they believe X, Y, and Z with no commentary, because then it's kind of, you feel like you're, you know, propagating false information. 
And whilst I'm sure lots of people who are on the internet know about the flat earth and know the tropes of it, etc., I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other people who don't, and they might find the video 10 years down the road when no one cares about the flat earth anymore and go, wow, that's that's a really interesting model of the universe that guy proposed. Um, so I, I felt like bring up the flat earth because it's world building, but also debunk the flat earth because that's just ethics. And I think in the interest of being scholarly complete. Uh, how do you mean? Like, I don't know. Um, it was relevant to, to your topic. Uh, I, fe- I think the video would have felt incomplete if you hadn't done that. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could see loads of comments afterwards being all like, you spent 20 minutes talking about the flat earth and you didn't actually ever talk about the flat earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know, I don't, uh, th- those those comments gave me pause for a second. It was kind of like, is this reasonable? And then I was like, I don't think it's reasonable. But then I also don't want to just dismiss criticism being all like, ah, oh, all criticism is unreasonable. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a poor no, way to No, it's live. the audience who are wrong. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, and I, I think uh, just one more point on it. It's going to be a very short uh, main topic section this, this month. Um, I, I think for the first time in a long time, I'm really happy with the look of the video. Um, really? Because I was, I I don't know. I think I, I I fell over the past maybe half a year, possibly more, into the trap of like uh, once once you know how to use After Effects and make stuff move and you know blink onto screen and fade and warp and all of this sort of jazz. Star th- wipe. Yeah, exactly. I think one can uh, do these things way too often. All these like transition effects, or whatever. And I think I was falling into that into that. Um, whole and then the length of this video forced me to be all like look Edgar you need to be economical here with your with your animations you can't animate literally everything otherwise this video is not going to come out in any decent time frame so I think it struck a really nice balance uh, of and a really sensible balance of like look if something needs to pop on screen just let it pop on screen it doesn't need to wipe on screen it doesn't need to do a zoom animation just let it happen and then the times where you really need animation like when you show stuff orbiting one another then bring it in and like that then provides visual contrast so you have the kind of more um i don't know how would you stilted sections where things are just like popping in and off uh, on on and off screen and then the more fluid section where stuff is moving and i think it strikes a really good balance uh mm. and i was i was happy with it now if you come back to me in a year's time i'd be all like that's oh, trash i didn't know anything about motion graphics at the time but <laughs> i don't know for f- first one in a long time i've been like that's i'm happy with that which is not a thing i often say so i was nice. i was pleased um yeah, uh, I think that's flat plans done. <laughs> One last thing before we leave, actually, is um, I found a really interesting video that I cannot find at the moment. I'll find it for the show notes. Um, and it talks about the sort of philosophy of the flat earth movement um, mm-hmm. and how it's like how it's like a big tent conspiracy they call it where it's like it's it's one of those conspiracies where in order for it to be true like literally everything needs to be a lie so once you buy into like the flat earth you buy into kind of like mass conspiracy and doing so makes i think makes people who believe in such conspiracies really susceptible to moving between uh, to and from big tent conspiracies and there seems to be a really interesting movement here that this video the argument in this video is that the flat earth is on decline at the moment 
and less and less people are talking about it, etc. Um, and I think it's because uh, the Flat Earthers have all shifted to QAnon, which you'd be all like, that's a bit weird. Like we went from like this sort of geofiction conspiracy to this kind of like crazy Trump-based conspiracy thing i don't really know too much about it because it's just it sounds stupid um but this guy really ties it in uh really well and it's kind of like no this is just a different flavor of big tent conspiracy and you can and these big when you inhabit these big tent conspiracies you can believe in loads of them at the same time because they never fully contradict one another because all contradictions are just we're being lied to um, and I just think it's really interesting. It's it's a whole, like, I think it's like 40 minutes long or something. It's really well shot, this little like, kind of like flat earth QAnon conspiracy documentary thing. And it's really well made. So I would encourage people to go check it out. And uh, yeah, it's a really good exploration into the mind of a flat earther. I have absolutely no no difficulty believing that to be true. Yeah, I would still watch it, the video. It, it 100% tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and it's just I don't know, man. I've I've said it before. I I love the flat Earth conspiracy. I just think it's great. Like, and not that I'm a believer in it, and not that I believe conspiracies. I don't. I think they're nonsense. But again, as world building, they're just it's just so good. It's like they're doing world building, and it's really interesting to watch them like explain their setting and things. Like that. It's just it's just great. And then, <laughs> but all other all other conspiracies, I don't care. Like you know, when people go like chemtrails, it's like I'm not interested in like oh the military did it things, um because it doesn't construct the world per se. But the flat earth thing just so perfectly hits for me as a world builder. I'm just like I absolutely love it, and I'm actually a little bit sad that it's on the decline because I'm like oh no, please keep going, please keep inventing your world building. <laughs> you're doing so well you're doing so well and for the sake of just uh, completion here um i obviously do acknowledge that there are like a load of like really toxic elements uh of the conspiracy beyond the sort of toxic anti-science thing but like you know there's there's uh lots of hate speeches used um there's you know some a lot of the people in in this uh, field or whatever um are I, I get the impression are not the nicest folks in the world. So there is always that kind of like dark side to these things. It's not just a fun, quirky conspiracy and things like that. Mm. There's always that sort of nonsense. So I'm not condoning that. I'm not saying the flat earth is great because of that. Uh, I just really like the flat earth uh, clinically looking at it as a piece of world building. I think it's just, it's just awesome. Anyway, links well, that- I, I'm convinced that like 15, 20 years ago, what, like before it had a big resurgence, it was, it was mainly a joke thing. Um, like I, I was aware of it um, mainly in connection to kind of Discordian groups and stuff, where it was very much uh, satirical. Define um, Discordian group. Uh, so Discordianism is uh, uh, a kind of a joke or a religion, depending how you look at it, um, based around <laughs> uh, the the goddess of chaos, and it's it's kind of rooted in. Uh, 60s counterculture. There's a, a series of books called the Illuminatus Trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson, who will probably be quite familiar to a lot of people who are conspiratorially minded or into conspiracy theories, um, which is kind of a, a fictional text that, that goes a, a lot into the, the the philosophy and the lore of Discordianism. Um, and anyway... In that, uh, it 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 comes up like the the flat Earth Society is is sort of uh, mentioned as a 
a, a fellow traveller or a group of fellow travellers to Discordianism. Um, so I always kind of viewed it as a, a very knowing, jokey kind of thing. Um, but yeah, then in the last 15, 20 years, it seems to have been, or sorry, 10, 15, I said, 10 or 15 years, it seems to have been um, believed sincerely by like actual bigots and things um not ex- not exclusively bigots of course but largely um there, there, there is a, a significant overlap mm. um it's it's very strange yeah i've heard that before and i i don't know man i don't think that's the case I, i'm sure there were people satirizing it um but from what i could tell i think the origins uh, origins lie in sincerity um, like I brought up. Oh, the- I, th- I think like in the early twentieth century and stuff. Yes. Right. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like the Flat Earth Society, for example, uh, I th- think I'm accurate in saying is was set up way back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was set up way back in the day by a uh, a person who just thought that science was just wrong. They were doing it wrong. Um, so so the and then that became the online carnation that it currently is. And interesting enough, actually, I think at the moment the Flat Earth Society is viewed by a lot of flat earthers as a psyops operation, which I think is just hilarious. I just, I just I think that's would you be bothered? <laughs> I just think it's wonderful. Uh, but yeah, but I think but the notion that like the flat because lots of people bring it up and be like the Flat Earth Society was a joke. Uh, but I think the Flat Earth Society goes back a little bit further and i think it it wasn't a joke back in the day which is just it, it that makes me really kind of sad th- mm. th- that people actually were kind of like like that again like like a point on the video that synthetic stuff is just it's so it's so um insidious because like mm. like i point out in the video the uh the on the face of it it seems so legit like as in like you know you observe a thing and then you explain that thing in the like kind of simplest possible terms and like in many ways that's kind of what science does like science doesn't seek to add elaborate theories to things uh when there's no need to like we seek the truth and the truth is like occam's razor it's like usually the simplest solution um but then when you get under the hood it's just a sort of like really anti-scientific thing of kind of like anything that contradicts what my eye sees is wrong no investigation need i'm just i'm just really glad that people didn't take this aesthetic thinking to heart because otherwise like we wouldn't have germ theory uh that would be terrible <laughs> um but yeah anyway. i mean i've never been to australia so how can i know it exists exactly exactly yeah i've never seen a germ i've never seen a computer uh motherboard at all i've never seen that i've never seen the inner workings of phones as far as i'm concerned they're just magic um there's no <laughs> way of knowing what they do and all that sort of jazz it's just it's such a weird way of viewing the world but again really insidious because on the face of it if you don't look at it it seems like a perfectly good um set of tools to just go about the world with but it's a set of analytical tools but it's just it's just a load of nonsense anyway uh i could talk all day about the flat earth conspiracy because i think it's great um and i think the again i think the world building of it's great but uh, i won't sub subject everyone to that and also i'm really intrigued to see bill talk some more with his hiccups <laughs> <laughs> Can I make a request, Edgar? Sure. Um, in in the the vein of having done the toroid planets and having done the flat planets. Oh boy, here we go. But but I guess in some ways closer to the flat planets. Can you make a video 
about Hollow Earth. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know much about Hollow Earth, though. Uh, and the there's a couple of Hollow Earth conspiracy people on the internets, but their world building is even less well-baked than the Flat Earth world building. So <laughs> it, it's really hard to draw anything from it. And, like, the only other thing I know about the Hollow Earth is that, well, isn't there a thing that the Nazis apparently believed in it? Uh, yeah, the, the, I've heard that. Um, I've heard different variations of that. One, that it was, um, like, our normal uh, Earth, but it just happened to be hollow, and another that we were on the inside of a sphere. How um, how are they justifying that? Like, who, like again, I don't know the answers, because most people on the internet who believe this just go, we are. And it's like, yeah, but at least offer some sort of explanation as to why. Like, but, but like, it's so I, I get in a flat earth sense that you look out at the world and it looks flat I get that right I can see how you would think that but I don't understand people who look out at the world and go do you know what I'm in the bottom of a fishbowl like what <laughs> oh, oh they must actually, you know what I think about it? they must think that they're probably not thinking that the earth wraps around the fishbowl they're thinking that we're like almost like sediment on the bottom I'm assuming that's what they'd be thinking, because then I could kind of see it. You, the sky would be no, 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 no. The the world is on the inside of a of a globe. Yes, and, but and the world extends all the way around the inside of the globe. Yeah, but like, how are they doing that, Bill? <laughs> like, how do you justify that? I I don't know. That's that takes some massive leap of imagination. Good, good God. Good God. Um, but like it was, it was believed reasonably sincerely by by a fair number of people, uh, like through the the sixteen through eighteen hundreds, um, and there's a there's a decent amount of fiction about it. So it's I don't know it's it's a it's a model I, I'm quite fond of. Yeah, same. Uh, if I can find stuff to say about it, I I would totally make a video on it. Um, maybe if it was sincerely believed by people way back then, maybe someone's published something about it. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna say a definitely maybe. Because <laughs> again, Excellent. much like much like the climate thing early, earlier in the video, I would love to, but there comes a point where there's just nothing written about thing. You just can't yeah. do thing. Um, I will say as well. I'm gonna if I do ever make the Hollow Earth thing, I'm gonna leave it there because you could go on endlessly. Be all like, oh, can you make a icosahedron planet, or can you make a dodecahedron planet? And it's just like there comes a point where crazy uh, planetary architectures just kind of lose. You're just doing it for the crazy planetary architecture, not yeah. I mean, it's, it's got to be ones with with you know at, at least some basis you know like I, I has anyone ever proposed an uh, icosahedral planet or anything i don't think so i mean if they I have they're foolish i wouldn't be surprised bill like <laughs> yeah i suppose <laughs> when you put it that way uh a listener if you've anything on hollow earth uh anything at all youtube channels uh papers writings anything religions even that might believe it i don't know if those existed and um, they tended to Old religions tended to be flat, uh, geocentric models. Um, but if you have anything at all, send it my way. If I get enough stuff, possibly a video will be incoming. Neat. All right. Uh, end of the world's shortest main topic. Done. Green room time, and we are back with another slice of bank of artifacts here. 
Insert jingle stuff. that has not been written. Um, oh, oh, uh, full disclosure, I am going to bring up two letters that uh, I got. I have another two um, sitting in the mailbox at the moment. Uh, I'm going to talk about them uh, next month. So if, if you've sent a letter and it hasn't come up, it's more than likely sitting in the mailbox and we'll, we'll get to it next month. Just to spread it out a little bit um, cool. and not to have a massive, massive green room at the end. Uh, so the first letter comes from a person called... I'm going to go Chube, uh, C-H-U-U-B-E-H. Uh, so I'm just going to take that as being a lengthened vowel U in the middle there. Uh, Chube. Anyhow, uh, Chube writes, uh, Enclosed you will find bills from the Philippines, Egypt and Israel. Uh, I would have compl- uh, included money from Dubai, but I spent my last bit of cash on sweets. Brackets, not enclosed. Very much enjoy your podcast and YouTube video, <laughs> <laughs> videos. Y'all's enthusiasm is infectious and a great source of inspiration and joy. Thank you, Chube. That's really nice. Uh, and I really I really do like the not enclosed thing. That's, that's great crack. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. And look, you know, I, I support you spending it on sweets. I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, yeah, for sure. If uh, I'm for it, if those were licorice flavored sweets, otherwise those are false sweets, and stop, uh, stop worshiping at the altar for for uh, false gods. No good. I'm specifically against it if it's licorice flavored sweets. Uh, that's that's an incorrect <laughs> stance to have. Um, so anyhow, um, so we got so we already had some money from the Philippines. Uh, so that's not a new contribution to the bank perspective, but that's still okay. Uh, we have this is all in the show notes. Go check it out. We have the twenty uh, Philippine peso. Uh, which converts to about 0.42 US dollars. Um, on the obverse, we have a chap called, it's like an orange bill, kind of like, um, yeah, monocolored orange bill. Um, on the obverse, we have a chap called Manuel L. Kezong, uh, who I believe, if I recall correctly, he he was a uh, president, I think. You might, you might want to fact check me on that bill. Um, we also have, from a conlang perspective or from a language perspective, we also have an image uh, of the declaration of the Filipino language as the national language. I think that's like on the left of the obverse there, if you check it out. Um, so that's pretty cool from the, the language nerd and me likes that. And then we have an image of the Mala Kanyang Palace. Um, which whose pronunciation I've completely butchered. And on the reverse, we have the uh, Banu Banaui rice uh, terraces. Apparently, these are the eight wonders of the world. They look baller. Links in the show notes. And we also have uh, a little Asian palm civet looking all alluring there in the middle. So, uh, yeah, 20 Philippine pesos. Civets are very cute. They are. And even this, this graphical representation of a civet looks, looks very, very cute. Uh, oh, and there's kind of a, there's a wee um, kind of map outline of, of the Philippines on it as well. I always thought it's so weird to live in a country. You know the way, like, uh, Ireland, like, you know, you draw a map of Ireland, like, it's really, like, any kid can kind of approximate the sort of cute teddy bear shape of Ireland. <coughs> it must be so weird for, for people who live in countries with, like, extremely complex borders um, mm. to draw it, you know? Like, it's just, it's so complicated. Anyhow, there you go. Um, so that's the 20 Philippine pesos. Then uh, Chube also uh, gave us 100 Egyptian pounds. This is a new contribution to uh, to the Bank of Artifacts. And I believe if the map I'm looking at is correct, this is the fourth country in Africa uh, we got, which is awesome. Um, and so 100 Egyptian pounds is 6,000. 
38 US dollars. And uh, on the obverse, we have the Sultan Hassan Mosque. And on the reverse, we have the, uh, the Sphinx, um, which, you know, it's, it's standard. If I was going to make Egyptian money, you know, there's going to be the Pyramid of Giza on one note and there's going to be the Sphinx on the other note. So uh, I would expect nothing else. Other than that, I like it. Uh, the uh, the color scheme is this kind of very muted, uh, like green, red sort of color. It kind of very is very invocative of like um, Middle Eastern rugs, that sort of color scheme. I, I enjoy it. I really like it. I think it's cool. Okay, interesting. Interesting. The pyramids don't seem to appear on the on the banknotes. Get out. We've got we've got a various mosques. We've got a, a statue of Ramesses the second. Um, look on my works. You've got uh, the the guys seated outside the Abu Simbel temple. Um, yeah, no actual no actual pyramid. Do you think of other temples? Do you think it might be a case that, like, the, the Pyramid of Giza uh, is, like, the equivalent of, like, leprechauns for Irish people? <laughs> Where they're just, like, we know... They're just sick of them. <laughs> yeah, they're just, like, we know Egypt pyramids, we get it, we're more diverse than that. Let's let's not focus on that, let's have different depictions on our currency. Uh, I could yeah, also I see that being a thing as well. Um, but, yeah, and as always, as always, uh, the, the script is just, it's just baller. I just, I just absolutely adore... The Arabic script. It's just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was the uh, 100 Egyptian pounds. Thank you. New submission into into uh, Bank of Artifacts. I love it. And then another new submission, also again from Chubik, uh, is the uh, 20 Israeli new shekels. And this is a very simple note. I really like it. It's like a mono... Well, I suppose it's bichromatic white and uh, red. Really simple. Really nicely stylized really like it um on the obverse we have a, a woman called rachel uh bluestein bluestein um i think rachel is is or was a poet uh, we have a, a snippet of a poem called the kinneret on the obverse as well and on the reverse the reverse we have the sea of galilee a very kind of stylized image of the shoreline of the sea of galilee and another snippet of a poem uh, that i'm assuming rachel wrote uh called perhaps it was nothing dot 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 um, so yeah, baller, and then also the uh, Israeli, the Hebrew script, also not a really cool script. Yeah, really, really enjoy it. Um, so yeah, two out of three. Two. New- although, although, do we have? Is, that looks like Arabic script there on the on the obverse, um, on the left hand side. Yeah, yeah, but go go to the no on the on the reverse. Go to the obverse, and then you can see there in the corner. Oh no, no, I know, I, I was I was adding, not contradicting. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, there is also a Arabic script. Yes, yes, yes. You are right. Um, mm. So 20, oh, and uh, I don't know if I said this, 20 new Israeli shekels is $6.08. Um, ah, so close enough to 100 Egyptian pounds. So close enough to 100 Egyptian pounds, exactly, yeah. Um, so thank you, Chube, for, for that. That's really cool. And again, two new submissions, and particularly in Africa, I like because we, we have a paucity of stuff uh, from Africa. Um, we kind of have Eurasia fairly well covered, and then Africa's uh, not great. In fact, geez, we even have like, you know, Southeast Asia is better covered than um, than Africa. So, yeah, so awesome. Uh, then our next, apologies for the sound quality here as I move around grabbing letters. Our next submission comes, fr- our next and last submission uh, comes from Samuel DeBarba, who has, I think has been a contributor to the show a new- numerous times in the past. Yes, lo- long time listener and contributor. 
Uh, I am going to include uh, just a snippet of the handwriting here. Uh, I hope that's going to be okay with uh, Samuel because Samuel has wrote, written this like exquisitely written note. I'll send you a picture afterwards, Bill. Um, throughout the note, Samuel, you know, is at pains to point out how terrible the handwriting is. Uh, that is inaccurate because this is beautiful calligraphy. Like actually stunning and i wish i could write like this so I'll, I'll include a little snippet of a line or two um yeah it's awesome um so samuel says thank you uh there's a page of thanks and stuff like that so i'm not going to read that out for the sake of brevity um so it goes now to the business at hand uh the bank of artifacts these notes are a bit old um bit odd as they are the local currency from the lake district in england uh like many local currencies the bristol pound brixton pound um, some currencies from the Basque regions. It was designed to stimulate local uh, economy. Regretfully, the COVID pandemic ended the use of the lace strips of pound. Uh, I received a double order and thought you might appreciate the uniqueness of them. Um, I am not personally fond of the generic fonts and the portraits, uh, but the very modern views, uh, I think, uh, make up for it. Um, Use a blacklight if you have one. I do not have a blacklight, unfortunately. So, but thank you, Samuel the Barber. Uh, we have we have five. Samuel submits five Lake District pounds, which I can't find a conversion rate. I don't know what they are to like. They're pounds. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, this is the next question I'm going to ask. Like, how do, they, how do they convert? Do they convert? What's the difference between these and pounds? Like, why not just use pounds? I don't really understand. I, I would I would have assumed that they were just like pegged to the sterling, um, but they're just kind of you. They'd only be accepted locally. And so, how does that stimulate local economy? Because you you have these and you spend them locally, and and they they don't go elsewhere. Oh, I see. So yeah, if you have a te- if you've ten sterling in your pocket, you can go anywhere in England and spend that ten sterling. But if you have 10 Lake District pounds, it must go into the Lake District economy. Kind of, yeah. Mm. That keep the money is the money is constantly circulating but just within within the Lake District. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I wonder why more places don't do that. I guess there's a probably a, a logistical burden to creating and printing your own money. Yeah. And I mean this one wasn't successful, alas. Uh, yeah, but like um, I mean, you know, COVID was not something that anyone yeah, foresee at all. Yeah, that's fair. You know, sans COVID, it may well have may well have worked out. But anyhow, sorry, I never, I, I, I didn't even go with the descriptions there. So we have five Lake District, Lake District pounds on the, I'm just going to call it the obverse. It could be the reverse. I don't know to t- which uh, how to tell which is which. Um, But on the obverse, we have a portrait of Miss Potter, who I believe is Beatrix Potter. Yes. Because there's many animals. And it says like, let your imagination go riot, uh, wild creativity and freedom so it's Beatrix Potter. Potter didn't know Beatrix Potter, Potter came from the Lake District she I think she is responsible for it being the district largely <laughs> I think she I think she was kind of part of setting it up as as a kind of a recognised place oh wow oh, very yeah good. I think so um, so that's on the obverse or reverse depending which way you look at it and then on the back uh, we have like a really modern um, like low poly depiction of like the landscape of the landscape of the Lake District, and it's um, I agree with Sam- Samuel there that I'm not a fan of the font. 
I'm not a fan of the generic uh, sans serif font, and I'm really not a fan of it coupled with the sort of handwriting font. I don't like that contrast whatsoever. Um, but I don't think I'm a fan. I don't think I'm fond of the modern aesthetic as well, because it it just contrasts so extremely with the sort of like sketchbook vibe of the other side. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think I would like it better if the entire note were this low poly scenery um, and not this weird contrast. I don't know. What do you think, Bill? I really like the reverse by itself. I really like the reverse. It's it's kind of bold and it's, um, you don't, you don't, I'm not familiar with many other styles of, of banknotes that look like this. Like if you compared them to the other ones yeah. um, that, that we looked at today that with kind of like fine graded drawings and stuff. This is this is quite starkly contrasting. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not as as fond of the of the obverse. Mm. Um, I don't really. I'm not bothered by the font particularly. I'm not a fonts guy. Um, oh, shame. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I really like the reverse here. And so then the uh, ten Lake District Pound note as well. Same vibe on the reverse. We have this like low poly landscape again in both both in both notes they're pointing out uh notable like mountains uh or hills depending on which way you view it um <laughs> and the color scheme again is great it's like it's just it's a really good piece of graphic design but again when we go to the obverse we have this sketchbook vibe thing going on with the handwriting fonts that i, I don't really like uh, but anyhow, the bloke here on it is a guy called Sir Chris Bonington, and uh, apparently a little bit of digging on him, he's a mountaineer, shock horror, given the amount of mountaineer-related uh, pictures surrounding him, uh, and I think he climbed Everest, or something like that, um, at some stage. So there you go. Uh, a five... And what's his connection to the to the the Lake District, or is it just kind of in a, in a cool guy? Oh no, I assumed he was like born in the Lake District. Lake District. Uh, uh, he was born in, in London. Oh, okay. Did he live in the Lake District? He's he's a deputy deputy lieutenant of Cumbria. Does the Lake District overlap with Cumbria? I've, I've it's no... located completely within completely within Cumbria. Well, there we go. Uh, Sir um, Chris Bonington falls out with Lake District con- con- conservationists. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're getting political. <laughs> Back away. <laughs> Uh, features on new yeah uh okay yeah um so there you go they're really it's cool it's cool again i'm with you bill i think if it was all done like the reverse here in this very stylized way i think that'd be baller um i don't think it jives with the sketchbook thing in the back yeah Uh, i would never have guessed that upon embarking on the bank of artifacts yeah that like i thought i just you know receive money from like you know standard currencies from around the world, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that there were kind of all these non-standard currencies like the uh, Canadian. Remember the Canadian bills? The tire are, money. The tire money, exactly. Yeah. And then we have these you know, local currencies, and I think someone made noises about sending in currency from their fictional world, as oh, well. Dope. Yeah, really. Dope. I don't think we received that. Where? If how do we put that on the map? <laughs> yeah, all no, right. <laughs> They'd have to submit their map as well, and we'd have to put that underneath the world map. Um, but yeah, I would have just thought it was like, oh, people are going to send me like you know Romanian money, but like loads of cool things are coming out of this, and like loads of old currency. It's just it's just great. I just really 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 enjoy this. Um, so anyhow, um, 
last thing I'll say on this is, or uh, last thing I'll request is I'll put a call out for notes, uh, if that's okay with you, Bill. Um, I would really like if anyone has Indian money, uh, Mexican money, or Argentinian money. Although, Bill, were you? Did you not get Argentinian money for me? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Did you? Did you send it to me? Or maybe Argentinian was the one I didn't have any left. I sent you some others, though. I believe. Yeah, did you? Well, you've got Brazil on the map. Yeah, but we got Brazil from uh, from a listener, for sure. Um, what what money did you send me? Uh, I don't know. Oh. I thought I had. Well, in any case, seeing as Bill is horrifically unreliable, folks, I could do with some Argentinian well, you money. you knew that already. <laughs> No, all, all jokes aside, uh, I would love uh, Mexican money, some some Mexican money, uh, some Indian money, and some Argentinian money. Uh, I just think they would fill up large chunks of the Bank of Artifacts map. Links in the show notes. As always, please, please, please don't send high denominations of these things. Just send send the lowest denomination note. Uh, I don't. I'm not looking for you to break your bank or to go raiding your grandfather's money collection or something like that. <laughs> uh, please don't do that. And again, as always, focus on the letter. Like it's it's really this is all just a big giant excuse for people to send in letters and for me to wake up in the morning, go to the post box, and be all like, "Oh, cool, an artifact's a letter," and it just it makes my day. It just you start off the day on the right foot. Um, so if you have those monies or any other monies at all, uh, please send them in. I would greatly enjoy that. For sure. Cool. Alright, um, I think that's us. I think that's everything. That is, this is the world's shortest podcast. Good God. <laughs> that's, it's, we're, we're currently at 120 wish tangents that need to be cut. So it's like, wow, it's going to be it's gonna be real short. Um, next month, though, we're going to do uh, the book review. Um, yes, we've got some stuff to catch up on. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm sure next month there'll be some world building. Uh, here's the, that's the plan. That's the open. plan. So uh, next month we'll have a slightly longer episode. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show over on Patreon. Links in the show notes if you want to go do that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. And until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.